Hey, 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 what's up? What's up? Good morning, afternoon, or evening, good people, wherever you are, wherever you happen to be, and however we're together. Thank you for being here. I'm Dave. And this is Dave's head. So, what's in my head? About a week ago or so, Major League Baseball, the writers, had their annual Hall of Fame vote. And once again, no Barry Bonds, no Sammy Sosa, no Mark McGuire, no Clemens, no Schilling, I believe, either. And these are all, if you've watched baseball over the course of the years, these are all big name stars. If you go way back to, I believe it was 98, 99, somewhere around there, where Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire had the, the huge huge home run back and forth contest, which Mark McGuire actually won. I think he won like 71 to 68 or 70 to 67 home runs or something like that. And then Barry Bonds came in a couple years later and I think he had 73. But if you remember that time in baseball history, baseball was dead. Baseball was dead in the water. There was only certain segments of the country that really appreciated and watched baseball. Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire, their home run battle created this huge national narrative, created a whole bunch of income through filled stadiums. Every time these guys traveled, advertisers on TV, when they played each other, I think it was around like Labor Day or Memorial Day or one of the, the holidays. Um, it was probably Labor Day, but they had this huge, like, two-game series between the Cubs and the Cardinals, if you remember. If you remember. And I think McGuire hit, like, two home runs. Sammy hit one or some sort of combination of that. But it, it was, like, one of the most watched events, regular season, two-game series in a long time. And Major League Baseball made a lot of money off of this. A lot of money off of this. This home run battle between Sosa and Mark McGuire the Kurt Schillings, Red Sox with the Boston Red Sox, Clemens with the Yankees, and um, I think he pitched for the Astros as well. Um, but now all these guys are cast out, right? No Hall of Fame for you because either you admitted to PEDs or you're suspected of PEDs, or in the case of Sammy Sosa, I don't know what the hell he's doing to himself. But now all of a sudden, that moral compass is, is working again, right? The writers won't let them in. Now, they do have all alternative i think and singular i think there's one alternative to get them into the hall of fame if that's so desired but major league baseball was resurrected through sammy sosa and mark mcguire barry bonds going around the country hitting home runs and granted his head was like twice the size it was when he was in pittsburgh but still there was no complaints about peds the the 93 phillies which i'm a huge phillies fan um they're known for the the uppers they had in, in candy jars back in the day. Major League Baseball wasn't complaining about none of this stuff because it was bringing in fans, bringing in ratings. And now all of a sudden, now all of a sudden, oh yeah, we can't let you into the Hall of Fame because you're suspected of using PEDs. Okay. So you're going to get back that money you made off those PED using players? No, you're not going to do that right. It's just hypocrisy. This whole doping thing is hypocrisy because those weren't the only players doing it, number one. And if you go back to the 80s and the early 90s, almost every clubhouse had bowls of just uppers to keep these guys awake. People think, oh yeah, doing three, four game stints and then going to do another three, four game stint and then going to another three, four game stint. Oh yeah, that's easy. They're just playing baseball. It's a game. The, the ignorant people say that, by the way. That's kind of like those shut up and dribble people. Yeah. But it's very hypocritical for the writers to suddenly get this moral compass for major league baseball to suddenly get this moral compass when it's time to induct these guys who put so much money in your pockets through fans in the stands, advertisers on TV, Jersey purchases, paraphernalia purchases, and so much more season ticket holder purchases off the backs of these guys. But now your moral compass is fixed and you want to make sure they stay out of the Hall of Fame. 
as I say, make it make sense. Next thing that's on my mind. So I've been, I've been thinking about this a lot lately. And one of the things I used to do when I was in college is I kind of had this diet that I only ate chicken, fish, and turkey. Um, I love my PB&J, so I ate a ton of PB&J. I don't know why. I just love PB&J. Um, tons of fluids because I burn through between working out twice a day, practice once a day, games on weekends, that type of stuff. I burn probably 3,500, 4,000 calories a day, but I probably consume 3,500, 4,000 calories a day. Love my fish, all that stuff. Grilled cheese was another big thing I did back in college. And so I've thought about the pescatarian diet. And the reason I've thought about switching to it is one, it's very healthy for you. Um, and I already eat healthy as it is. The, the second thing is when you look at what a pescatarian diet cons consists of, it's pretty much everything I eat already. Fishes, legumes, nuts, pasta. I eat all those things, right? I eat shrimp, I eat lobster, I eat trout, I eat salmon, I eat all these things already. So it wouldn't be a tremendous change for me. But three, four times out of a month, I probably eat what's considered unhealthy, right? Pizza, cheesesteak, or one of my big time favorites, steak. Usually rare if it's at a steakhouse, medium rare if it's like a regular place, it's a nice restaurant and then if I'm at some like Outback, no offense to Outback, but I'm not getting steak from Outback. I don't order it at all. And so I thought about going back to this variation of a diet that I had from college because I felt in great shape back then. And not that I don't feel in great shape right now, but one of the conversations we had in the season premiere of episode three with Dr. Sanul Corelius, and I want to apologize to him because his actual pronunciation is Sanul Corelius. And I butchered that name a bunch of times last episode. But one of the things we talked about during his interview was knowing your body. And while I'm not firing off alarms about my body, I noticed certain things are taking long to recover from. One of the reasons I retired from football was because games and tournaments were taking longer and longer to recover from. I noticed when I don't sleep my normal, which is, you know, five hours sleep, if I get three hours, it's taking me a lot longer to get revved up. Now, some people may say, Dude, it's three hours. Anybody, it would take that long. But yeah, you know your body. Five hours has always been good enough for me. Um, alcohol consumption. Having a night out on a Saturday. Drinking, socializing with friends. Sunday's a little slow. Sunday's a little upward climb to get back to... <sighs> okay, I don't feel like I'm going to pass out. Not sick, not hungover, just drained. And so one of the things you can do about that is improve your diet that way your body is able and willing really to consume some of the bad habits you have but just work through them and so pescatarian diet is something i've looked at so I'm, I'm looking at you know certain changes this year i've been looking at you know relationships those types of things i said by the end of this year somebody's daughter is going to be celebrating new year's eve with me um on a beach because i already booked my trip for my birthday and new year's eve so Somebody's daughter is going to be celebrating my birthday and New Year's Eve, but as in a capacity, right? It's one of my goals. I have this board. If you've been to my house, either house, you know, I have a whiteboard in my office. And I have this thing which adopts the large rocks, small rocks and sand, or some people could say large rocks, pebbles and sand. But essentially the way this works is large rocks are the important things to get done right? They aid in your progress. They aid in your retirement. They aid in your financial um, savings and planning, that type of stuff. Small rocks, or some people say pebbles, small rocks um, are really, they're kind of in between, right? They're kind of things you need to get done, but they're not as important as the large rocks. And sand are really the things that you can just fire off really quickly, but they also aren't that important. And so the idea behind it is if you put large rocks into a jar or a bucket and then put the small rocks or the pebbles and then put the sand, everything will probably fit, right? You'll be able to get a lot more done. But if you put the sand in first and then put the small rocks 
you're not going to get a lot of large rocks done. And so that's kind of the, the philosophy. And I think I might have talked about this before in a previous episode, but it's kind of in alignment with some of the goals I've created. I don't do New Year's resolutions. I do goals. I do things I want to accomplish throughout the year. And so ironically, and I'm not even going to look at the board because I, I have the board pretty much memorized. The categories I put things in don't align with really their importance. And so all of my sand is completed already for this year and we're not even through February yet. Um, and so I have my small rocks or my pebbles still to get done and I have a few large rocks um, that one take more time, but also are very much high risk, high priority, high reward type of things. And one of those things I have in my large section, which I actually don't have any of my large on my board. It's all up in here pointing to my head for those not watching um, is by the end of this year, somebody's daughter and me will be cracking bottles of champagne on a beach somewhere. Um, and uh, enjoying, you know, that type of bliss. So we'll see. We're, we're going to work to make that happen at some point. Um, once I get through the longest divorce in the history of divorces. But it takes me to the next thing that's on my head, which is this apathy that I've kind of grown into with what's happening with our U.S. government. When I first voted in 2000, very first time I voted was in 2000. And yes, I voted for the Republicans, which I believe was George Bush. But when I first voted in 2000 and, and fun fact, I actually, my very first vote had to be provisional because I moved like a month or two before. And so it wasn't quite my district, but it was where I should be voting. If it was transferred in time. Yeah. Crazy stuff. Fraud, according to some, but when I first voted in 2000, um, I was very much into politics. I was full in researching and granted, this is not the Google era that we're in now where you're able to readily pull a bunch of information about someone. My thing was looking at newspaper clippings, looking at TV advertisements and kind of picking out things that didn't sound right to me and seeing if they were actually true or if they were just some partisan hack trying to use one bad word to create a whole different narrative. I was doing this in 2000, but the thing is I've gotten more and more detached from what I call the DC shit show because of what I've seen the second really decade or a little before the second decade I've been voting from 2000 to really 2005, 2006, it was normal ish type DC stuff, right? Towards the crash that happened in 2008. And that time things started getting very cartoonish to me. Grandiose descriptions, right? Started to follow all of a sudden this guy's the worst person or he's a Muslim, or he's a socialist, or I'm the greatest ever. I'm the least racist ever. I'm everything became a marketing strategy, right? How many people can you get to buy into your ideology and your direction you want them to go by selling them as hard as you can? Saying the most outrageous stuff that we all know is outrageous, but people somewhere somehow will buy into it. And that's what politics has really become. I've been asked to run for office. I refuse to. Why? Because I cannot in my heart of hearts. I know I will not be able to deal with the bullshit of politics to be fully blunt. There's a thing in what we call the hood called ratting on someone, right? It's supposed to be, you know, something you don't do. I'm not saying that we're rat on politicians, but if you tried to come to me, with some backdoor side door deal, something illegal, quit pro quo type of crap. I'm going to have a press conference the next day and say, this guy tried to do this. That's the type of person I would be because politics needs to be cleaned up. The only way we're going to get forward in this country and doing things that actually help the people, which is, you know, that's what the elected politicians are supposed to do. Their primary concern is supposed to be the constituents that they represent. Supposedly. Until we get to that point, it's just going to keep nosediving. I mean, look at our candidates for president for the 2024. I think it's 2024. Who is it? Joe Biden and Trump again? I mean, that's really the best we got, right? And we haven't even gotten to the, the primaries yet, but that's pretty much who it is. That's the best this country has to offer. I'll take politics in this country serious again when they do one thing. When the legislation in D.C. votes to pass 
term limits for themselves. Until they do that, I won't think about entering politics. Because why should I? I'll just be competing in the swamp like everybody else. Getting dirty myself. And I refuse to do that. So when they decide to vote for term limits for themselves, I'll believe that there is actual change that's happening in D.C. that benefits the people who voted to send them there. Until then, I'm getting very apathetic. Very detached. And it's unfortunate because not that I'm tooting my own horn. I'm not Trumpian myself here with compliments, but I believe I have a lot to offer politically for people who potentially could vote me into an office because I know that I will work hard for them to make their lives better. But I want no parts of the political system we have now. And I'm sure there are a lot of people around this country who have that same mindset, the ability to help people, but they don't want to be a part of the system that does the opposite. They say you can change from within, that's a dirty hill to climb. And until there's some meaningful change, a lot of people who can do some really good things won't, any, won't want a part of it at all. Not at all. What's in my head is brought to you in part by Diggum Movers, who sponsors this year, your safe and swift moving company. An A-plus rated one-stop shop licensed and insured moving company. Providing local and long-distance services on the move. For more information, visit their website at www.digamovers.com or call 1-888-77-DIGGUM. That's 1-888-773-4436. Thank you, Digga Movers, for sponsoring what's in my head. So Polaris, which is polarisproject.org, is quote leading a data-driven social justice movement to fight sex and labor trafficking at the massive scale of the problem they list on their website that in 2020 10,583 situations of human trafficking were reported to the u.s national human trafficking hotline involving 16,658 individual victims as shocking as those numbers are they are likely only a fraction of a real problem that doesn't get talked about human and sex trafficking. With that, I want to turn to my guest for this episode, Kia Bauer. She's a survivor, an author, and an advocate who brings awareness to the horrors of human trafficking globally through workshops and sharing her survivor story. With that, welcome to Dave's Head. Kia, how's it going? Thanks for having me on. It's going good. And so what I like to do, and I know I gave a little small introduction uh, of who you are, but what I like to do is have my guests in their own words tell the audience who they are. So if you could take a moment, tell the audience who you are, what you do, and what you're about. Absolutely. Well, um, of course, my name is Kia Bauer. Um, I'm a survivor of sex trafficking. Um, my story began um, actually in the early 90s, uh, where I was a teenage runaway at the age of 16. And uh, basically, I moved from Dallas, Texas to Atlanta, Georgia on my own as a runaway. And I got caught up in the um, music scene there uh, in the Atlanta, Georgia area. Was trafficked by a well-known producer, um, and it's it's a very complicated situation. But um, a lot of people who are victims of sex trafficking, that's exactly what they they realize. Um, back then, they didn't call it sex trafficking. Uh, I was a juvenile delinquent. Okay, I was a runaway, mm. and so um, that's what I would have been considered. And uh, over the course of about six years. Uh, I just kind of went from handler to handler, and eventually I ended up, you know, going to a strip club and working there, and I just didn't really like the feeling that someone would be lording over me or, you know, pimping me, if you will, and so I wanted to take matters into my own hand, and so I brought my enterprise, uh, you know, I just made it something that I did myself uh, with no one over me, but I kind of continued in that uh, circuit of, really, it's just prostitution, the commercial sex trade. Hmm. Wow. Um, so one of the things leading up to this, I do preparation, background, research. Uh, so I'm one aware of what I'm talking about and conscious and 
not ignorant to what I'm talking about, but two, just, you know, looking up relatable things. And I found that during the research I normally do for an episode, this one was difficult, just reading story after story and looking at the different ways that sex trafficking occurs. Right. Uh, but for my audience who may not be informed on what sex trafficking is, let's start there with that understanding. What exactly is sex trafficking? So sex trafficking takes place um, by three different methods, force, fraud, or coercion. And so basically this is where an individual uh, maybe it is they are forced into sex trafficking, meaning there's a brutal force, uh, you know, they might be actually kidnapped um, or beaten into the lifestyle. You can think gangs, think of initiations, because many gang uh, rings actually are involved in the enterprise of sex trafficking as well. And so a lot of times uh, the young ladies and sometimes even the young men will be, be beaten up, threatened, and forced into that lifestyle, right? And so um, you also have fraud. So sex trafficking falls up underneath a larger umbrella of human trafficking, okay? Human trafficking happens in the same way. It's just that one is going to be labor um, mm -hmm. trafficking and the other is going to be sex trafficking. And so um, there's human trafficking and then sex trafficking falls up underneath that. Uh, about 70% of the human trafficking cases involve sex trafficking as well. And um, I forgot the exact percentage, but the majority of those are also women and children. And so you talked about your experience with a, a popular producer, and I'm not gonna ask you to say the name of the person if you don't right. want to, um, but you talked about this starting at a young age. Are the primary victims of sex trafficking younger, as far as younger women, younger boys? Um, who are the primary targets? Um, first of all, that is a loaded question because it depends on what part of the world you're in. If you're in the United States, um, you're going to be looking at marginalized communities. You're going to be looking at, uh, you know, immigrant families um, who are going to be at risk for labor or sex trafficking. You're going to be looking at homeless populations, especially as it relates to children. So I live in the Dallas, Texas area. So you're looking at any given night in Dallas, Texas, there's approximately 400 youth who are homeless on the streets of Dallas and at get any given time. So they're prime targets for sex trafficking because what are they looking for? Shelter. Um, they're mm -hmm. looking for a new life, another way of living. And, um, you know, the opportunities are endless for the trafficker um, who is going to come in and target those individuals. However, that's not the only way that it can take place. Um, the internet is a huge place. If you're looking at mm -hmm. uh, pornography, a lot of those individuals uh, were captured, right? It is a forceful mm -hmm. situation. Some people were drugged. And so every time that someone is clicking on a link and going to a website or every time someone is downloading uh, pornography, oftentimes the individuals are children. Uh, and so if you're looking at a 12, 13, 14 year old uh, young person, you wouldn't even know their ages necessarily. Um, but you are participating in the trafficking of those individuals. And so when you're looking at targets, um, you know, that's kind of where you want to start uh, as your baseline. Gotcha. And, and obviously probably the most popular movie that I could think of is Taken, you know, the Taken series with uh, Liam Nielsen, I think his name is, right. uh, as a star. Right. And that's, you know, typically when you think of kidnapping, even sex trafficking or human trafficking, you think of those types of situations initiating it. But what you just pointed out was, homelessness, runaways, gangs, you know, things you just wouldn't think about leading or being a catalyst to sex trafficking. Yes, and children are particularly at risk, I would say, even look at foster care systems. There are predators mm -hmm. and um, traffickers who specifically seek out opportunities to house children. Um, unfortunately, mm -hmm. the reality is that many of the uh, uh, traffickers that are caught and arrested sometimes are even family members. And so there are percentages and statistics on how many people um, are captured or uh, involved in sex trafficking. So when you think captured, just think they are under the control of this person. If it's happening in your home, you are captured. So it's not gonna look like the movie Taken in that instance, but you are still forced into a lifestyle and there's no way or little or no way for you to feel like you can get out and get the help that you need. And so these are just some of the ways we need to think about how this happens on a daily basis. Not to say that there are not times where people are 
um, kidnapped in the way that you see and taken, because that does happen, mm -hmm. especially when you're looking at globally, uh, what happens in certain parts of the country more than others. Um, but nine times out of 10, you're going to see this more within school systems, within foster care mm -hmm. systems, institutions that are already established, as well as what's on the peripherals as far as, you know, within the community, um, you know, those who are homeless population and things of that nature. Mm -hmm. I, I got to say, it's kind of troubling to uh, to mention adoption in there because um, I have a really good friend of mine. She came on, I believe, two seasons ago and talked about the adoption process. And um, it's one of the things she's passionate about. And it's also just not one of the things, you again, you don't think of adoption being a conduit for that. But, I mean, you think more of abuse when you think of trouble with adoption, right? Um, right. It does. Yeah, I mean, it I guess. Does, depending on the extreme like, to which, you know, the individual is is seeking out um, these experiences and, and, mm -hmm. and what they would consider opportunities to exploit. And so that's not saying that the entire foster care system uh, is compromised of, um, you know, predators. But mm -hmm. wherever there are children, wherever there are uh, marginalized individuals who have little or no voice, then you will have uh, traffickers, you will have predators. So let's focus for a second on people who look like myself and yourself. Um, it's not really something in the forefront of our minds to think about sex trafficking or even human trafficking in ghetto and inner cities, those types of situations. But just from what you've just spoken about answering a few questions, it's clear that that's a problem as well that's not discussed. But do black people need to be aware of sex trafficking? Absolutely and positively, um, when you're talking about marginalized populations and you're looking at socioeconomic, uh, you know, information, you're talking about uh, communities that are targeted specifically because of even some of the uh, ways in which uh, prosecutions take place in sex trafficking cases. You're looking at the trafficking of uh, black women. Um, basically, the trafficker is already aware that they will get less jail time if they are trafficking a black individual. It's a reality. It is a reality that we need to be aware of. About 40% of all sex trafficking cases in the US are compromised of black women, 40%. Okay, and so let's really look at that. And so you're looking at, according to the FBI, 57.5% of all um, trafficking cases where there are arrests made are against black children. So yeah, we have quite a bit of a reason to be concerned about um, sex trafficking because of the way in which it affects us. Um, you know, there's there's a documentary called Black and Missing. And I'm not sure if you're aware of it or not, but mm -hmm. it details um, in depth about this situation that we find, our unique situation that we find in our voices many times being just kind of cast off to the side, unless um, you have advocacy, you have groups and lawyers and people in the community uh, who are decision makers who are able to get out in front of the cameras and say, listen, this needs to stop. And so uh, there is a report that I really, really would like uh, more people to uh, get, a, get their hands on, especially in the black community. It's by Cheryl Nelson Butler. And it's called the racial roots of human trafficking. And so this is not a new problem. This is not a new issue. Um, but if you read that report, it really gets into a lot of the nitty gritty of, you know, the, the origins and um, how things came to be, right? Why we're dealing with this in the way that we are in our community specifically. Hmm. So yeah, I, that's definitely a report that I'm going to actually, uh, in post-production, I'll put this uh, up on the screen, um, okay. but, and I'll put it on our, my website and everything as well. So I want to turn to um, a, a spinoff on that. So it is important, and I didn't realize the numbers were that high with with black people and, and minorities and people um, in general. What's the biggest problem there? If if it's is it just that we're not aware of it and knowing how to take precautions? Why is that number so high? I do believe that awareness has a big part to do with it because, you know, you hear of these different situations, you hear of what's going on, um, but you don't realize just how close it is to you or you mm. take for granted that this could possibly happen to you or someone that you love. And so, um, you know, you look at the school systems and you look at the way in which um, trafficking is taking place. Um, just, just with something as simple as some of the gaming apps that the children are a part of mm. um, and that they engage with, you know, on a day-to-day -day 
basis. When you're looking at a lot of the sting operations um, that go down, they are actually on these gaming platforms posing as children. And they are finding that there are other children who are not children at all and who are re making requests. And um, they are actually not only making requests, but they are actually getting kids to expose themselves uh, and take pictures of themselves. And so trafficking does not always um, mean that it is a physical interaction. Sometimes it is a virtual interaction. And so a lot of the reason why we're in the dark about these things um, really is because we don't know. You don't know what you don't know. And that's the reason why coming on a platform like yours, like, yours, like your podcast, and really any possible way that we can get the information out to our community, it's absolutely necessary. We need to understand that if we're such a big part of this, then we need to know what it takes to protect ourselves. Yeah, and I remember growing up and, you know, it was always uh, don't take candy from strangers. Um, I forget the code word we had. It was, it was something creeper where you're supposed to yell out if uh, somebody approaches you. But this was all very personal, right? Back then, it was always snatching a minivan, you know, don't go towards a minivan, that type of stuff. But like you just said, it's it's cyber, it's gaming, it's social, it's, there's so many different avenues now. Children have cell phones now, uh, where when I grew up, we didn't think about having cell phones. I mean, there's so many. What were areas. cell phones? We didn't even know about the cell phone. Yeah, that too, we had beepers, if, and that wasn't until teenage years. But yeah, I mean, there, there's so many avenues now to enable trafficking to happen, which is, is just a, a different world we live in. And yet, because of those avenues, we, we're kind of comfortable, right? A lot of those yes. avenues make us, you know, creatures of habit, we're very comfortable. And so we don't think about the, the dangers of it until something like this happens. Right. I wanna look at um, the United Nations Office of Drug and Crime, uh, GIF, so Global Initiative to Fight Human Trafficking, published a manual entitled Anti-Human Trafficking Manual for Criminal Justice Practitioners. In it, they state, quote, trafficking in persons has three constituent elements. The first being an act, which is what is done, the means, which is how it is done, and the exploitative purpose, which is why it is done. Um, if you could just talk for a brief moment about those three elements and how it has sex trafficking really being so prevalent and troublesome to combat. So um, the first one, please forgive me, the first one was how it's done. How, uh, what, what is done, the act what has done the act. And so I would like to, um, if you will, just kind of take your listeners on a journey uh, really briefly. When you're talking about the act, in my case, I was a teenage runaway, right? And so with me being a runaway, um, I actually got involved with a gentleman. I was 16 years of age. He was 27 years of age, invited me to Atlanta, Georgia. Um, I was living at the time in Dallas, Texas. And because the situation between my father and my home life was so bleak, uh, my father literally tried to kill me. He was a uh, drug addict and uh, going through a detox uh, situation. And so it was a very volatile situation. I grew up in a home that was uh, filled with a lot of domestic violence. So there was an opportunity right there um, for me to be exploited, right? When you're talking about marginalization, when you're talking about um, you know the perfect storm, that would be a scenario where that happened in my case. And so. When you're looking at that, when I finally got to Atlanta and I was actually introduced to another gentleman who was also uh, my senior, um, I was pretty much uh, ripe for the picking, if you will. I was very naive. I did not realize what type of trouble I was getting into. And I really didn't care about trouble as much as I cared about being able to eat and having a way to get away from my father, right? And so those were the two primary things that were on my mind. However, uh, the individuals um, that that I got involved with and who gave me a place to stay told me the only way I would be able to stay there is if I provided services. And so that was, you know, the how. <laughs> I was um, a prime target, number one, uh, because of my need, right? And so not having a, a strong family structure to be able to rely on and depend upon and so the act took place after the, the, the need that I had was discovered and the demand that they had to receive the services. And so, you know, supply and demand, once supply meets demand, then you have a transaction, right? And mm -hmm. so uh, basically that's how I was exploited. And in many cases, um, you're dealing with individuals who are 
downtrodden. They're in need of hope and that uh, trafficker is going to be able to provide the solution, right? And so one thing leads to another. Wow. Um, so we're going to get into a little bit later um, your story and your book. Um, but as, as different parts of your story are revealed during this interview, I'm just I'm struck by the place that you are now. And I'm kind of skipping ahead in my thought process with how I want this interview to go. But right. talk a little bit about how you are here right now, coming through the storm that you came through. Right. And so, um, wow, uh, how I'm here right now is uh, just the process of healing that I experienced after 1997 when I came out of that lifestyle. Uh, there was a long road ahead, and um, I went through a lot of counseling. Um, I initially rejected counseling, but I did finally embrace counseling. And uh, I was kind of in and out for a number of years, in and out of uh, mental institutions and just trying to figure out why, 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 how do I get out of this? And um, after, you know, that long road and all of that engagement with, you know, finding out what was going on with me, being able to overcome a lot of things mentally and getting the support system in place that I needed, um, it brought me to a place where I said, you know what, it's not possible for me to have gone through all of this and then not turn around and, and give back and not find a way to help others who are stuck or coming out of the lifestyle and trying to figure out how in the world they're going to get direction. And so that kind of led me to the place where I am right now, where, you know, I provide workshops, I go into schools, um, you know, I talk with churches and organizations, pretty much anyone who will give me um, their platform for just a little bit to share with them um, what is going on and how to combat it in their lives, right? And so uh, it, it's so much bigger than me, um, but I believe that I really firmly believe that in your life, whenever you, you experience a pain point, some calamity, some tragedy, some um, trauma, that the reason that you go, go through that, we'll, we'll never really know. But one mm -hmm. of the reasons I've found is to be able to turn around and have the capacity to give back to someone and to be able to be on their level. And, and, and you, you know, they're not going to feel like you're, you know, over them and superior to them. They're going to understand that you come from a real place. And so I think that it was necessary for me to go through when I look back what I did so that now I can connect with people and do a service to get many people out. Right. I, I always say Harriet Tubman would not have been as effective as she was uh, with the Underground Railroad had she not been a slave and understood mm -hmm. the slave mentality and the process. Um, and also understanding the slave master and knowing how to bridge that gap to create a space that brought others to freedom, right? Mm -hmm. And so um, that is the gift of trauma. Yeah, that's a that's a great analogy um, because it's really hard to relate to people and speak to people, whether you're genuine or not, if you haven't been through potentially what they've gone through and, and maybe even worse. Um, and so I'm very passionate about giving back. So we obviously we have a very different story, different traumas in our lives, but um, it's one of the reasons I also uh, choose to give back because someone somewhere is going through something I went through. And so that's kind of the way I approach giving back as well. So I definitely absolutely appreciate that and the journey you've taken to get here. Um, many people um, in the minority community don't really turn, regardless of what the trauma is, turn to counseling. Um, it's something that's either we're ignorant of what it involves. We're very critical of the idea of it, the, the mantra or the, the aura around um, counseling. Or sometimes we just, it's a finance thing as well, um, occasionally, right. but it's, it's very good that you, you chose counseling and chose not only to see counseling, but give counsel uh, to others as well. So I definitely appreciate that. Absolutely. Um, and it wasn't an easy process when you're talking about getting, I mean, you hit on a lot of different points, finances and these different things. I had to pursue counseling over a, this, this took many years. And so uh, I would say to anyone listening that if you find yourself in that place where you don't feel like you can quite afford it, continue to pursue it, uh, pursue podcasts, pursue uh, books that are written by uh, licensed professionals, prof professional counselors. Seek a way to help yourself until you're able to sit down in front of a counselor. Mm -hmm. And my grin for this episode, if you haven't listened to my podcast before, there's a segment called My Grin, which is great reason to be in love with now. And I actually talk about for this episode, something to help push you through, help, you know, you've had a rough day, you had a rough situation. It's, well, I'm not going to tease it too much, but it's it's kind of touching on this a little bit. Um, but so next last Q&A question. So I, I want to talk about, and I know it's very, very, 
wide-scale um, differences between sex trafficking here in the U.S. and abroad. But just holistically, as a general question, what's the best thing someone can do to avoid becoming a victim of sexual trafficking? I think the first thing that they can do is know um, what it is and what it looks like in their city. And so uh, I would educate myself. Google's your friend. Uh, go on Google and begin to research it. You know, it doesn't take that long. So many things, if you just put sex trafficking, um, you know, uh, uh, Baltimore, Maryland, uh, put organizations, and then you will see what it looks like in your area. And then you'll also see what resources are available to help either yourself or someone else who might be going through a situation. Because we hear things, we hear things, right? And so, um, just the other day, um, I had a lady tell me that she had an experience in the Walmart parking lot where um, she had to actually get an, a manager involved. She had to bang on the window because they were about to close and there were two different cars in the parking lot who were trying to corner her. And so, um, you know, in a moment like that, you kind of need to know what to do. And so um, the first thing and the only way you would really know what to do is if you are researching that this is even happening in your area and then you know, okay, these are the steps I need to take. And so, um, yeah, educate yourself, number one. Gotcha. Yeah, it, I, I hearken it to buying a house. And I was thinking about this while you were while you're um, answering that question. But when you buy a house, you look at the neighborhood crime rates, right? You're, you're shopping different areas. You want to see what's going on. It's kind of the same thing. If there's something that you know is either important to you or you're concerned about happening to you or your loved ones, you want to do the research. Look at the areas it's happening. If you have friends and family traveling to Atlanta, you want to give them warning about this potentially being a problem down there. So definitely awareness and education. I, I can definitely see where that would be number one. Absolutely. So last question, let's talk about your book. Um, I've been waiting to hear about your book, uh, 1000 Elsewhere, A True Survivor Story and your personal journey survival. What's the most important thing you want readers to take away from your book? Well, the first thing I want them to know, this is not a how-to book, this is a memoir. Um, I, I really took the reader into uh, the mind of a 16 year old and what uh, foundationally would cause them to make the particular decisions that they made. In my case, I made a lot of poor decisions uh, based on the limited information that I had at the time. And they were fear-based. They were based out of the fact that I didn't have, or I didn't feel like I had a support system. And so I kind of just give people a window into the mindset and the decision-making process along the way and so they will see themes um, that are played out in the book, such as um, the Stockholm Syndrome, which is a trauma bond um, between the uh, captor and the captive. And so uh, then you will see um, different mental illnesses as they emerge, but you'll see as the trauma that took place, you'll kind of see that walk out and play out in different ways, right? And so I just take them on a journey with me um, you know, 16 years old to 23, and um, they'll see how I exited uh, the lifestyle. And um, there's a lot more that's tucked inside that you'd have to buy the book to find out more about it. And it is available on Amazon. Absolutely. It is available on Amazon, um, or you can get it from my website. Gotcha. All right. So that's the uh, end of the Q&A segment. And what I'd like to do now is move on to my favorite part with my guests, which is first thoughts. First First Thoughts is brought to you by SRE Solutions, simple solutions for complex problems. For over 15 years, SRE Solutions has provided today's solution to prevent tomorrow's problem. SRE Solutions will provide you effective, efficient, robust, and reliable business intelligence, application, website design, and PC support services. For more information, visit our website at www.sresolutions.org. If you're joining for the first time, like I always say, shame on you, but I'm happy you're here. First thoughts is my opportunity to provide a word or a phrase to my guests. They're not privy to them, hence the term first thoughts. So, Kia, are you ready? I'm ready. All right, so I will say there's a caveat with this first thoughts. This is the first time in three seasons I've done this. All the first thoughts are gonna be related to sex trafficking because it's a, a topic I think we need to dive into some more and I'll, I wanna get your first thoughts on some of these things, but as they relate specifically to sex trafficking. So the first first thought I'm going to give you, if I say the word indifference to you, what's the first thought? My first thought with the word indifference, um, wow, uh, the average person 
what they feel about sex trafficking. Okay. And feel free to elaborate as much or as little as you want. Um, so second first thought, and when I came up with this one, I realized this might be touchy and tough, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Um, feel free to skip by it if it, if it bothers you at all. Um, but if I say the worst part to you, what's your first thought? The experience itself was the worst part. Um, there's, there's very little that compares in my life with the pain of the initiation process that I experienced. Uh, which was very brutal with, um, wow, uh, about six to eight men. And so there's nothing um, worse than that and waking up the next day wondering, what did I do to deserve this? Hmm. Yeah, I can't, I absolutely can't imagine it. Or the being the person to do that, honestly. Um, I guess the, the, other side of this is the next first thought, which is healing. If I say healing to you, what's your first thought? It's so necessary um, to allow yourself to heal if you have experienced um, any type of sexual abuse, but especially um, sex trafficking, uh, where you feel like you um, just lost all of your options and every choice that you made caused further pain. You deserve healing. You deserve to uh, live. And that's um, very important. Just to know that alone, you deserve to live and you deserve mm -hmm. to heal. Absolutely. And so next first thought, I'm kind of building towards uh, the, next, the, the last one, but the next to last first thought is healthy relationships. If I say healthy relationships to you, what's your first thought? My first thought is boundaries. In order to have healthy relationships, you have to establish boundaries, but before you can establish even boundaries, you have to start with, okay, what does boundary establishment look like? It looks like your gut feeling. When something doesn't feel right, maybe a boundary needs to be put in place. A boundary is you respecting yourself. Hmm. Absolutely, 100%. I'll say, um, I usually trust my gut. I didn't trust it so much in certain situations in the past. So I 100% uh, agree with that. Um, trusting your gut, setting boundaries and self-respect above all else. Um, so last first thought, um, and like I said, I was coming to a conclusion, but peace, what's your first thought? Do everything in your power to obtain it. Mm. Um, sometimes all you have is uh, laying your head on your pillow and your thoughts in between your two ears. And so the way you govern your day, if you do not have peace by the time you lay down and put your head on that pillow, then you need to evaluate, why don't I have peace? What boundaries do I need to put in place? What needs to change in my decision-making process? What is robbing me from peace mm. or of peace? Peace at all costs. Absolutely. All right. Rewind that back and listen to it again if you listen at home. Um, I 100% agree with that. So, Kia, I do want to thank you for stepping into Dave's head. Before I let you go, I'd like to give my guests an opportunity. If you want to promote something or say anything, uh, feel free to do so now. Absolutely. Well, of course, I want uh, your listeners to get my book, uh, 1000 Elsewhere, A True Survivor Story. It's available on Amazon. Um, and you can also get it from my website. My website is www.kia, K-E-E-Y-A, Vower, V as in Victor, A-W-A-R.com. There's a lot of good information there, information about human trafficking and sex trafficking, uh, information about me personally, how to contact me in the event that you would like me to come speak at any of your events. And so um, there's a lot of fun stuff that we're looking forward to in 2022, and that would be the spot to be if you would like to know more all right thank you um little fun fact to end with um so if you listen to the last episode you know i kind of butchered my guest name a little bit um and so since then i've been watching old episodes of 24 and so before we started this interview i got clarification on the pronunciation of kia's last name which is bauer if you watch 24 at all you know jack bauer is the uh main character on all the 24 episodes so it was very easy for me not to butcher 
your last name this episode. So <laughs> I do want to thank you for joining and stepping into Dave's head. Thanks for having me, Dave. My absolute favorite segment of my podcast is my grin, which stands for great reason to be in love with now. Everyday Power was created in 2013 and has become one of the largest and most popular websites for inspirational quotes and empowering articles. They describe their site as, quote, an educational reference website publishing quotes and articles that help people learn new perspectives, skills, and mindsets. They have over 20 categories of quotes, weekly quotes, articles, a section on careers, and more. Sometimes we go through things in life and we lack the mental and emotional tools to endure, learn, heal, grow, and move forward. Sometimes guidance from others' words can add to what we need in our toolbox. Everyday power can be that tool we need at that time and other times. So check them out. Go to www.everydaypower.com and see if there's a quote that you can add to your toolbox, brighten your day, help you heal, or simply motivate you. I want to thank Kia Bawar. You can find her on Instagram at Kia Says, her website, www.keyavawar.com. Check out our book, 1000 Elsewhere, A True Survivor Story. Support our sponsors, Digga Movers at www.diggamovers.com and SRE Solutions, Inc. at www.sresolutions.org. If you're interested in sponsoring on Dave's head, reach out and we can make it happen. So diet changes, survival, and everyday power. All great reasons to be in love with now. That's all for this episode of Dave's Head. Follow and feedback on our Dave's Head podcast Facebook page on Instagram and Twitter at Dave's Head Pod. Subscribe and give your sentiments at Dave's Head Podcast on YouTube and listen on your preferred podcast player at anchor.fm forward slash Dave's Head Pod. For more information on all things Dave's Head, check out our website at davesheadcard with two rs.co. Episodes premiere on the second and fourth Fridays of the month. Thanks to all my headers for tuning in and remember, enjoy life because life should be fun. Take care.